Hello and welcome to IEEE Soft Robotics Podcast. In this podcast, we are going to interview researchers from Pulse Academia and Industry about their work, thoughts, spectrum, and more beyond that. This is Marwa Edwini, and I hope you will find this podcast useful. If you would like to connect with us, simply send us, and we will be happy to hear from you. And here is my interview. Thanks. Hello and welcome to IEEE Robox Podcast. Uh, could you please introduce yourself? Hello, I am Refik Anadol. I'm a media artist and director joining from Los Angeles, California. So thanks for joining us, Refik. I, I would like to go when you were a child. If you remember your memories about art and machine intelligence, if there's something shaped your interest where you are now today, if you remember. Yes, I have a very clear memory, thanks to <laughs> several mm-hmm. items. The, my very first, I think, memory point in time is the movie Blade Runner. I guess it was my very first encounter with the power of imagination. Mm-hmm. I was eight years old when I watched the movie, and uh, I was in Istanbul. I'm also from Turkey, Istanbul, and we have this very similar... Uh, let's say approach the cinema my mom like every weekend like get some rental uh, vhs cassettes and the fun thing is that day i watched blade runner and the same almost around the same time i got my first computer a commodore 128 so it's like very like um um i think serendipitic year in my life mm-hmm. <laughs> um, learning about androids learning about computation games especially a lot of games <laughs> yeah. um, and that's how I, I think witnessed the power of imagination and I think around the same years I also learned how to really look for the spaces that we inhabit like mm-hmm. I mean very high level looking at my like door of door of my room window of my room like the ceiling the floor like <laughs> based on my mother's memories I have even like have so long looking times and staring and daydreaming she even like brought me to like psychiatric and say like hey is this child is doing okay like is this <laughs> is this normal that wow. he is constantly like <laughs> it's and I think I was just probably in, in this in this I was just enjoying imagination. I was just enjoying being That's in my own world. That's very interesting. So as a child you have daydreams. What do you imagine? Just like a, a future thing or just how, how what kind of thoughts you have at that age? So I think is that I, I have two types of daydreams that I remember as I can recall. The very first ones was like very playful ones, right? Like as a child, like all of us like we play with our reality, right? We, we mm. try to hack our reality, imagine things like that doesn't exist. <laughs> like mm-hmm. imagine what will happen if there's no window, when there's no floor, there's no corner, there is no ceiling. Like, I mean, this all, all, what happens if you open this door and that door opens to another dimension, like this kind of childish dreams. Mm-hmm. But I think the more I grow up, the, the same thing apply to different levels. For example, I was using photography as my medium in the very first years of my studies. I was incredibly enjoy the idea of like stopping, I mean, or pausing or melting time and space, like the idea of um, recording a memory with a machine, which is a photographic, I mean, photographer, photography machine, and then pausing a moment in time and then look at a space from a different angle and reconstruct a reality. Like this kind of concept were always inspiring for me. So photography is one of the, I think, photographic machine or, I mean, cameras, um, computers, um, are my very first machine that I'm really like enjoying uh, that like mm-hmm. creating, yeah. creating reality <laughs> based on them or dreams based on them. 
That's interesting. I'm curious to ask you what the thing that could push the limits of imagination, because you when you're kids and now you professional and recognizing the field, what the element that makes you to push your imagination limit? Yeah. I think to answer this question, I have uh, first of all in in last several years, I'm really trying my best to put some definitions to some terms and concepts. For example, what does art mean? I think mm. for me, art means it's humanity's capacity of imagination. And for me, success is making dream to real. Like the distance from a dream to reality for me is a success journey. So, and if I define those, I think, concepts mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in, in my early years, I was much more, I think, feeling purposeful uh, in my journey. So. For example, when I feel about dreams and ideas such as like, can a building dream? Like, can it learn? Like, can we paint with mission consciousness? Can data become a pigment? Like these concepts were in my mind for almost now 10 years. And, um, and I feel like these are all established in my childhood. Like, I mean, science fiction is one of my hero field of imagination. Yeah. And um, from like Neuromancer, a book that truly like, I mean, inspired me, like William Gibson as, as himself, Philip K. Dick, or like, I mean, many, many, neuro, I mean, many scientific ideas apply to remembering the future, the concept of near future, but remember through our past, not to like um, fantasy in a way that is doable, reachable, uh, that has a potential to be felt soon, that was my really daydream, I think, uh, triggers. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. So um, you said a lot of interesting things, but I would like to ask you this question. What do you think the common between the art and machine intelligence? What's common between them? Imagination. I think there is this imagination, at least the idea of imagination, the idea of like consciousness. So eventually art is one of the most, as I said, like our, I think, capacity of imagination, right? So if that capacity is pushed to the edge, I mean, eventually we have the technology in our life as a concept, as a, like a, <laughs> as like not a concept anymore, it's like a tool of, I mean, expression. So if we have technology in our life, I mean, since we found the fire, it's there, it's constantly changing, it's constantly evolving and scientifically backed. So I thought that we have also need to find a way to go to the edge of technology. Mm -hmm. So what I found exciting is when I push the edge of imagination and also edge of technology, I found serendipity. And that's, I think, where I'm enjoying these concepts, where I just, this concept becomes more clear to me. Mm -hmm. um, otherwise, I mean, those two edges not always connect each other, unless there's a purpose, right? Or, or a narrative. Yeah, that's interesting. So basically what you did, you tried to take the art to another level by the machine intelligence from being just physical, but physical and virtual as well. So if you can tell us more um, yes. in detail, what's actually, you're working on right now and maybe yeah. for maybe new people a student uh what's your goal about art and machine intelligence yeah so i think a little bit i want to give a context um as a media artist i started using data in my practice in 2011 and 2011 i was very fortunate before that i was using light as a material and projecting onto the buildings and transforming how they look like by creating illusions from employees you know like just seeing beyond what is visible and trying to make invisible visible, I guess, and mm -hmm. very <laughs> scientific slash uh, Im imagination concept. And then I was very inspired by the idea of the future materials, such as like a data can become a pigment, painting with machine consciousness. 
Uh, and these concepts were not, of course, belongs to concrete, steel, or glass, right? Because architecture is, has this biased physical world. But my imagination was beyond architecting space. It was more about architecting perception, architecting consciousness. So that was like an inspiring moment, I think, in the early days. 2011, did, did my very first data sculpture in Istanbul, and then uh, start using algorithms in my work. And I was very, very like inspired by Ken Perlin's Perlin noise, like mm -hmm. a very maybe a common pattern. Like uh, at 2002, his his implement his Java implementation was my like the first code I remember kind of thing, like 49 lines of code. Um, mm -hmm. And then around those days, I started using visual programming language called BBBBB. It's an incredibly, I think, an exciting visual programming language. So on top of that, I built the, I think I built this narrative about like using data as a pigment and creating data sculptures and paintings. And what really changed my, I think, world is not only me, now I am a team, so I'm not alone. So 2014, I was fortunate to work, the dream was for me after my studies at UCLA Design Media Arts, where I was very fortunate to work with my, pine, I think, heroes and pioneers such as Casey Rias, Christian Moller, Jennifer Steinkamp. Mm -hmm. I was so inspired by this idea of becoming a team. The reason was very clear for me because I was really looking for not to go fast, but to go further. So, um, and then we become a team of like now 12 people, 12 language, 12 culture, uh, 25 median age. <laughs> mm -hmm. We can, we can, I mean, we have AI engineers, data scientists, architects, designers, game designers, like really very diverse, you know, imagination. And sound designers but i think what happened to me is 2014-15 and there was this unique moment that many many technological companies i think found some similarities in our imagination like microsoft google nvidia intel siemens like you name it i mean we would mm. just start to like become connected with these amazing people but 2016 i was really fortunate to work with one of the best engineers in the world i can say Google's Artists and Mission Intelligence. It's a group founded by Blaise Aguirre Arcas, and he is an also engineer, principal engineer at Google. And he had this, this idea that like, like the invention of applied pigments, printing press, photography, and computers, he believed that machine intelligence is an innovation that will profoundly affect art. And it was an incredible statement. And he uh, opened this really exciting, uh, unique program with also Kenrick McDowell, who is the art uh, curator, AI curator. I work with Mike Taika, an incredible engineer also from Google, and did a residency at Google. Mm -hmm. That's how I learned how to use machine intelligence in my work and in our studio work. Mm -hmm. But my, my, my obsession was literally like as human beings, right? Our conscious model, we take information, transform into a knowledge, and eventually it turns into a wisdom, right? So this pipeline in our yeah. cognitive system was a really big inspiration. But I think what was unique is what will happen we take our conscious model, apply to a space by using mission intelligence, simply colliding AI, neuroscience, and architecture to create a media arts experience. So this was like the really the challenge uh, starting in 2016. So last four years now with friends at NVIDIA, I think we are a pioneer studio working with mission intelligence and, and aesthetics to really make the invisible more visible, to make machines 
more creative, I guess. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's very interesting. I have a couple of questions. The first question is, for the data you collect to make a story, how you can get a story that the visitor for your studio can find a meaning in the algorithm? It's interesting how you can imagine what can be a story displayed uh, in your studio or uh, yeah. with a project. So, so I think, so first of all, studio is a journey. And I think it reflects my also desire and, and interest in different topics in life, um, especially after AI 2016, this journey became much interesting for me. First of all, um, I really like enjoy this mental model, like our consciousness as a whole. And um, as Jay Wright Forster says, humans develop a mental model of the world based on what they are able to perceive with their limited senses. So our limited senses are is actually my inspiration. That's why like architecting perception as a whole became like this new mental model for our studio. So that means the narrative eventually comes from our imagination, but also the concept of mental model. For example, I was also more inspired by the collective memories, memory as a whole. So the data itself became very openly, very boring concept because data itself is not just, you know, exciting idea. Data has to be experienced to become a knowledge, right? So I was much inspired about this moment the data becomes a knowledge mm -hmm. um, so it has to be experienced like that concept um, so that's what I'm I think inspired a lot last four years so an archive is a great I think for me archives and libraries are divine places where data turns into a knowledge right where information turns into a knowledge so I start the journey in a, in a library <laughs> mm -hmm. so like like the idea of like what happens if a human witness an AI learning a scene <laughs> in yeah. a library in near future like what will be the feeling of this like what will we feel when we witness a machine is learning in front of us right um because i mean the question is like how do we know what we learn like how do we know like where we stop learning like well where do we know that we, that's enough you know that kind of concepts are or like what will happen in near future when there is no search bar right like what will happen if the, everything can be seen in a library in one shot in one moment in one in a given time like i think I was always like trying to remember and reconstruct those moments in, in, in physical environments. Mm -hmm. Other narrative that I'm very inspired is like latent space. Um, as we all know, the AI and in general, like machine learning algorithms can store data in a space called latent space. It's a representation of like multiple dimensions. And I was getting like extremely excited about like what will happen if we have a chance to like really create experiences in a space that doesn't exist, a space that is manifold, that is impossible to perceive with our limited senses. Like that, that became a new narrative for me. Like how we can unfold this universe of data, it's called latent space, and how we can narrate this world. Um, and the narration that simply comes from the science and, and the, the bottleneck, which is, I think, or a, I mean, um, a space that, that doesn't exist unless we probably plot lower dimensions. Um, anyway, but so I think there's another um, also exciting narrative for me. The other narrative is like, such as like, I'm also inspired by memory as a whole, the moment of learning, the moment of remembering. And um, I'm heavily searching with, researching with like neuroscientist friends. We have a neuroscientist in our studio. Like, I mean, we are really seriously taking this, this consciousness model very serious. Um, and work with Adam Gesley from uh, UCSF, a neuroescape laboratory. and we even work with complex um, EEG device to track our um, brain signals and witness the moment of remembering and turn into a data sculpture. Mm -hmm. Like these are like very, I mean, I know weird maybe narratives for people, but I'm really like thinking the machine intelligence is allowing us to like unleash, unfold, like 
just just think different but also not only just dream but make it happen uh, so that's my i think you know um main narrative inspirations or working with nasa gpl right now so we are like literally plotting every single nasa archives available in public mm -hmm. and then transforming them into new entities new forms of sculptures and structures uh, with the mission intelligence so i think this is just like a ways of i mean seeing i guess that's very interesting i i would like to ask you this question because you work with neuroscientists and and you have the project melting Pro memories as well and since you really say that definition may be interesting for you to define uh, the goal, and if I ask you for the memory, because sometimes it's it kind of sort of retrieves some data or maybe storage, do you think that you have definition more beyond the human brain? Since we still we don't know how our brain actually work, do you imagine that something can be beyond the the traditional definition, maybe from psychology and neuroscience? Do you think there's something? we can achieve beyond that in machine intelligence? I mean, it's an incredible speculation, but I am, I think I'm limited to answer this with my limited, I think, knowledge in, in consciousness. But I mean, nowadays I'm extremely inspired by the neuroscientific approach to consciousness, like the model of like understanding uh, um, our mental model. So, um, and, and eventually it's a journey. And of course, I mean, as Carl Sagan says, imagination will often carry us to the worlds that never were but without it we go nowhere right so i'm heavily inspired by by this this, this imagination and also i think I'm, I'm very much inspired by uh um like kind of like art definitely questions the world around us but eventually i think science um can explains the world for us too right mm. but but eventually there is this limbo in my mind where the science is extremely concrete and extremely needs like a mathematical reality of context and discourse. And sometimes imagination, like as Carl Sagan said, has a much more potential to push us to a world that where we can inspire from, if it makes sense. So. Mm -hmm. And that model is so inspiring that I'm also trying to understand if we can use machines to replicate this model in a way, like for example, I want to remember every single photo of the city of New York. Mm -hmm. So that feeling that I'm looking for, but that's a collective memory, right? For example, for a project in New York, we collected 113 million images of New York. Like imagine 113 million images. But how I can have a look at these images and feel the city, feel the structures, mm. explore the, like, I mean, time, like different seasons, right? The, the floral systems, objects, architecture, I mean, urban structures, city grids, uh, and, and many things, right? So that feeling for me is pretty impossible to even imagine, right? I mean, I have some concept in my mind, but I can't, I can't explain it. But what I found is when I, try to apply this logic to machine intelligence, I found out that there's this potential of visualization of an idea, of a concept. So that kind of like findings is where the neuroscience is inspiring, but applied to a different computational model, if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so these kind of, I think, speculations or reality, however you look from, um, is uh, artful and playful part of 
the excitement in our writing work or in my journey at least um, and sometimes it's functional by the way some people say oh it's art like I mean, what does it do like what is it for like what does it mean for for me but what i saw is in many works that we have been developed so far a i mean very emotionally people were engaged and sharing their intimate uh, relationship with the their inner world which is interesting the reflective but also there are people like really using them as research tools like in archive dreaming which was a library piece a real-time interactive exploration of an archive with mission intelligence people were able to fly through 1.7 million documents in real time and search for documents in real time and they said like very clearly researchers that it's the most functional tool they ever saw they working for nine years with the archive and it's the first time they are seeing many items together purposefully connected and they never saw it before like i think there is this there is this functional and also heavily imagination applied reality experiences embedded in this body of work mm -hmm. that's interesting i i would like to ask you about the most challenging part you face in the whole project do you think very challenging for you what's it could be so I think, first of all, truly the big challenge is, I mean, like imagining and dreaming together, right? So mm -hmm. at least dream and imagining is a very personal concept. And and I learned, so I was very fortunate to grow up with teachers. So I was in a family with uh, teachers. Um, and, and I think I learned to learn when I was uh, very young. So thanks to the <laughs> teachers yeah. in our life. Um, I'm always grateful to our like heroes, mentors and teachers a lot for, for that purpose. Um, I think what what is the challenge is again learning right like we have so much information available and i'm not a computer science i'm just a media artist but but i'm limited in my own like knowledge i mean i'm i'm sometimes like feeling very limited and i'm found i'm trying to like this nature of quest i guess makes it more and more and more um hard because just the more you learn the more you want to learn and this this infinite you know yeah. <laughs> like universe of, of of data and knowledge becomes an, an interesting issue but also what is challenging is the computation. I think now as a studio, we have dreams that are bigger than our like reality. And another challenge I am feeling is like how to make invisible visible. Mm. Like this concept is really very challenging from an artistic perspective, because even though we can use science as an input for our you know, inspiration, at the end, we have an artistic experience, which is more emotional, um, requires to trigger imagination, inspiration, questions, um, and all these things, right? And explain some things, maybe articulate some things, and maybe maybe enable something for some people's mind. So it's a very diverse approach to a problem, as you may yeah. guess. Um, and that's challenging. Multi-domain imagination, multiple like fields of imagination. Yeah. Um, but also I feel like a cinema, because cinema is also a very similar, similar approach, right? In cinema, we have something unreal, but cinema enables it very real but at the end it's something unreal but we feel something very real <laughs> so like i think it's a very similar feeling um yeah and, and I am, i'm applying the same approach i guess sometimes it's just an experience in life that's interesting i would like to stress again on the data you said data traumatizing you have to understand the data and analyze so mm -hmm. for you how you can make sure you understand the data you receive for a new project how you make sure you understand this data yeah, so for me, again, I'm the data scientist, I'm a computer scientist, I'm a self-learned mind, enjoying mm. the concept of data, enjoying the purpose of data, 
but I am not here to analyze and give a new meaning to data. And I think I'm trying to say that data can also become a pigment. And this pigment can be more imagination than the purpose of data. I'm trying to say that the data can eventually will become a language for humanity. Maybe it's right now between machines and systems and algorithms and other things. But eventually we will need to learn this language, right? Eventually. But what I'm trying to say is, can we reiterate this medium? Like, can we talk about the poetics of data? Like, let's say. Because when we talk about the poetics, right, the idea of data becomes much bigger than what itself. So I am more interested in this, in this unleashing and, and, and unfolding the context of data to a new kind of imagination landscape. Um, this means, like, again, when I say, like, when I'm inspired by, like, noise algorithm, fluid dynamics, and optical flow algorithms, like, I'm heavily inspired by uh, computer graphics, I mean, in general, our computer mm -hmm. science. But at the end, I am looking for the poetry inside these algorithms and, and in influencing data and algorithm and creating a new dialogue between and di data and algorithm, a new, alg a new dialogue between a space and, and computation. Like, what will happen if a building can dream? Like, can a building, like, remember? Like, can it literally, like, have an imagination moment? Mm -hmm. Like, can we apply computational model to a built environments? where we can experience things I've never seen before. So I think it's a very, as I said, it's it's still data, right? Because to, to talk about memory of a building, we have to take every single data point exists in the building. And if you talk about a dreaming building, we have to talk, talk about dreaming process or GAN algorithms, specifically generative SL networks. Like, I mean, these are all data-driven ideas, but in different landscape, if it makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting. I would like to go back to the building can dream remember it's fascinating for me to have in the future i hope that happen for everywhere but i have a question for what do you think the most misconception about artificial intelligence in the context of media art you have witnessed so i think the misconception is most likely comes from i mean there's two things that i'm really i mean feeling <laughs> sometimes very uh, annoyed is like the idea of machines will like take over our reality mm -hmm. like all this like um simple dramas <laughs> let's call it <laughs> like uh i mean by the way i'm a very optimist mind and and it doesn't mean that i am ignoring the problems and ramifications of course every like technology will come with a ramification and of course is that they have this like problem of like uh, something may go wrong yes mm -hmm. but I think the more challenging is not like trying to find what may go wrong. The, I think the challenge is how we can do things better with that, like how we can improve thinking, remembering, learning, dreaming, like how we can enhance our like expanding the power of mind. I think this question is much challenging than finding what may go wrong. So that's one of the reasons I found that <laughs> like, yeah. sometimes neurons are more purposefully working when you're on the optimist side of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, it's a very personal belief. So. I mean, what I really enjoyed in my early works, like I remember Usman Haq, an incredible researcher and also architect, he said, if architecture is a combination of hardware, meaning solid static walls, roofs and floors, and software such as ephemeral sounds, smells, temperatures and electromagnetic waves, then perhaps the most productive conception of an architect is as an operating system designer. Mm -hmm. This was a very inspiring statement. I was just like, wow, that's really new, new ways of imagining the space. But for me, the, another misconception is like, again, like how we can apply a computational model to a built environment beyond just IoT, just 
pacification. Like how we can purposefully like create an experience that is based on a science, inspired from science, or let's say, but truly understanding like the quality of you know imagination under machine intelligence. I mean, these are like interesting like misconcepts happening in in the people's mind. Mm. And of course, machine is not decide to decide yet. Like AGI is not there. Um, and and I don't think we need to worry about immediately about what may, what may go wrong, but also we have to be aware of what may go wrong too. I mean, right? The free will is in danger. That's for sure, right? Because the machines can now predict many things we want or not. We are plugged into a system that is bigger than us, and we, there is something that is coming for sure. Yeah. That I mean, we have to be aware of it. But again, I think mis misconcepts and like I think again for me is like how we can turn this into an opportunity for humanity is where people are, i think sometimes missing this yeah i i would like to go to point about um the misuses of the technology or maybe how it will affect in our society for example you had the project fly in the mind of machine and i i, I have the perception that your work is of course ahead of time but i feel that we are going to live in simulation everything is simulated so I don't know how, how you would see the impact, uh, societal impact in like in the short term and longer term. For example, fly in the mind of the machine. What could be the uh, potential behind uh, an hour study or maybe work sectors? What do you think about the repercussion from this project? So I think um, there are many interesting speculations. I think. One thing I just want to remember one one exciting uh, statement from uh, William Gibson. Mm. He said one of the things our grandchildren will find quantist about us is that we distinguish the digital from the real. So it's an mm. incredible statement. Two thousand seven or two thousand eight, I forgot, but I very clearly remember that this is a very incredible statement because I mean it's very clear that I mean the. We are in this new, new, new culture, like transformation, right? So, for example, Kevin Kelly says, scientists had come to a startling realization. However, you define life, its essence does not reside in the materials, forms like DNA, tissue, or flesh, but in the intangible organization of the energy and information contained in those material forms. So clearly, and as technology was unveiled from its shroud of atoms, we could see that at its core is about ideas and information. So both life and technology seems to be based on immaterial flows of information. So I heavily agree with this statement. And I think once we understand that we are in the sense of displacement specifically, the machines, the phones, the computers we are looking every single day is literally creating a sense of displacement, right? Like we don't sometimes know if we are in a physical or virtual world. Like we don't understand our like context of you know time and space. And it's very clear that humans, machines and environments are in a new symbiotic relationships. So I mean eventually physical and virtual worlds are colliding. I mean it's not too hard to like just think about this this these concepts. But, but also, I'm I'm very much 
enjoying the question of like really what does it mean to be a human in 21st century right mm -hmm. so i mean they, they all like connect to each other in a way that i mean um that i'm finding similar patterns in those questions and ideas but i'm on a journey i, I can't answer in, a, in an immediate way but i know that <laughs> what mm -hmm. we are having a moment in this given time and space is something uh, as kierkegaard, kierkegaard said like it, it has to be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. I think it's an incredibly yeah. important statement, like the data we have. Yeah, that's interesting. So I would like to back, you said that, uh, I think you, that's one of the most interesting projects, building can dream and remember, and yes. if we can't touch our memories. But I would like to ask you first, um, how you can transfer the dreaming by the human being, or maybe had, when we have a dream, how you can mm -hmm. manifest it in the machine? How we can so, do it? So I think, I mean, again, the dream process, for me, the most closest and the most inspiring image uh, in my, I mean, artistic career came from the deep dream. The software um, originated in a deep convolutional neural network uh, called Inception. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was developed for the ImageNet um, challenge in 2014 and released in, I think, July 2015 or yeah, I think it'll be July 2015. So that was one my amazingly inspiring moment. Like you are seeing this hallucinative, like hallucinative, like these interesting images looking like animals and colorful world of like psychedelic world. It was just amazing. Like they were saying, that's how the computer creates reality, reconstructs perception. And that was like my honestly first understanding of like how we can apply a model. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, what really make me um, is that like this, like an initial picture, like all, I mean, a simple random noise uh, can be uh, shown to a neural network and then it visually parses and also interprets that data. And then when we calculate like how to change the, uh, the, the photo or the picture incrementally um, to, to enhance the initial interpretation, like this whole process can be repeated and until an image may appear. Like this idea is like very unique to our moment of dreaming or maybe hallucinating. So from a, from a cognitive maybe or from a neuroscientific point of view, mostly machines cannot dream at the moment for some people because they think that there's a human <laughs> in between a machine and the decision, right? Because a human loads data sets and humans trains a neural network, humans gives information to machine and then that happens is a kind of a hallucinative moment but for me, it's also like a dream process because a mm. machine in that context have a reality of understanding certain data or a mental model. And in the, and it can create like n-dimensional reality for itself. And we can project this world to our world. So at the end, we have a machine with technically dreaming and moment in its own limited reality. Mm -hmm. So I found that is a very inspiring like speculation. So simply taking this idea and applying to a build environment or a building in downtown los angeles two years ago yes it's a little bit blade runner <laughs> but also it's very like realistic blade runner i mean it's literally a machine connects to a building to create a brain concept and that building all its camera recordings performances sound recordings video recordings image recordings becoming an asset for the machine and eventually what you see on the facade of the building is a cumulative understanding of dreams based on those sounds, images, videos, and text materials. So I feel like it's one of the most closest experience of speculating a dream slash hallucination moment for a building. 
-hmm. So I feel like it's not only speculation, it's literally creating itself too. So you know that like it's not because in, in architecture, I think one of the biggest problem of architecture is like, as we all know, it's a physical reality, right? Like people have at the end, if they want to make that space, they have to find a way for yeah. fighting with physical reality of our life. But once we start imagination and once we use light as a material, which is one of the reasons I'm inspired by the material itself, the light goes away, right? It doesn't harm. <laughs> you yeah. can project your idea. And if, if nobody likes it, it's okay. It disappeared, right? <laughs> it's just like a thought. Yeah. Um, but also you witness it and you clearly understand it and has a memory in your mind. So, um, but doesn't have the same problems of concrete, steel or, you know, glass. So, I don't know. I feel like it is our very close distance to an alternative reality of yeah. buildings can dream and hallucinate. Yeah, but that, also witnessing yeah. it, not just speculating yeah. it. Yeah. Because we have a, a question about machine hallucination, but I have to ask you this question. Uh, how do you see the trade-off between the models you have to come up with and the data you have? Do you think? So first of all, I want to like heavily thanks to the friends and the people at NVIDIA. Like I'm, I'm, I was extremely inspired again, 2016, when Mike Taika showed me DC again, an algorithm uh, that have been like truly, I think, inspiring for many, many people. Mm -hmm. That the idea of a two neural network and this like a discriminator and a generator like is having this dialogue between each other to create almost realistic outputs. Um, thanks to In Goodfellow and many, many, many inventors behind that. Um, but I think I was much inspired, especially when I saw um, this uh, more and more improvement in this GAN algorithm world. Uh, Tero Karas from NVIDIA, Samuri Lane, Timo Aila, like their incredible research in like pro PG GAN, Style GAN, and Style GAN 2. Mm. This was like a massive inspiration for our studio. By the way, we were a unique studio, our studio, because again, we are working with like NVIDIA, like collaborating with one of the top scientists working one of the most exciting hardware and software in the world, thanks to their support. What is really inspiring for me was like, again, I'm an artist, right? I'm not a computer scientist, but I was inspired by what they are imagining. Their style again and PG again was incredibly using almost realistic faces. But I said, what will happen if we apply the same idea cities, our collective memories? Like, can we reconstruct a memory? Can we reconstruct a collective memory that is pretty much very similar to each other? So I was always not inspired by this, this just egocentric data, like simply how we can detach ego and data, like how we can get rid of this ego concept from data itself, which is very challenging, as mm. you may guess. Yeah. And eventually machine hallucination pops up in that like territory, <laughs> like, all right, maybe we can work with these GAN algorithms and really simulate these collective memories, collective dreams and hallucinations. Um, so simply the style GAN algorithm and the data we collect is mostly right now focused on nature. Like right now we have six to eight million uh, photos of like nature from all over the world, from like European landscapes, so like uh, I mean, Asian landscapes, um, like national parks in the United States, like incredibly like diverse um, amount of nature data. And we are training a neural network on that. We have a research on Hubble telescope. We have a research on MRO, the machine that is now recording Mars surface. We have a research on ISS telescope, and we have a research on uh, different fields of architecture and urban space, Stockholm, Berlin, um, New York, and Seoul in Korea. That's interesting. So we are constantly like looking for the urban nature and also space mm -hmm. in three topics.
Yeah, that's interesting. But I would like to ask you, what do you see the biggest limitation of deep learning? And you think that we have to push the limit? I mean, I mean the biggest limitation I think for me was really understanding the model, what it learned. Mm. I mean, we have now a latent space browser, which is allowing us to like fly in the mind of a machine. Uh, which is a really exciting innovation i think that we have to like create <laughs> because mm -hmm. otherwise like i mean first of all these algorithms allowing you to like create latent walks which is simply representational uh, images from the neural network but um what was limited for me was like it's just like not too controlled like you don't know what exactly it's doing it's fun for a while it's exciting to see some randomness but then like can we like create much more controlled experiences from this what it learned uh, and I am also calling this latent cinema as a speculation. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it may be like a kind of another like uh, fun thing to remember the cinema as a concept. But what I'm saying is like here, like once we have this exciting innovation, imagine a tool, right? So imagine again, algorithm learns 1024, 1025 dimensions data. We were able to plot this data in a three dimensional um, universe. And we were able to create latent folks, basically image representations and glue them together purposefully, not just randomly. So I think that's where I found that we have this, you know, opportunity of creating a cinematic experience, like a narrative in the mind of a machine. So this was very well received from the community, uh, I guess, from the researchers, so like artists and the curators. So we are, I think, very well known in that area of research. But the challenge is this model is frozen. This model is locked down. Like we have an N amount of data, in this neural network and it is just you know captured and frozen it's not like life right our mental model is in clock in flux in, in in action and constantly in a given time so i wish that there is an opportunity to create a living model with the algorithms mm. that can be always surprising and always changing and i think it's possible and it's i think i'm sure computer scientists are <laughs> imagining this very well but i wish i have an access to that to to, to see what does this mean that's interesting and I'm curious to ask you because you pushing yourself to the limit of deep learning because that's something you try to adapt um, new ideas to your work. But I would like to ask you, do you think, have you ever, because you have this imagination, do you think that maybe there's a direction of research that machine intelligence have to be, or the community of deep learning have to focus on or maybe disagree with uh, this approach? Doesn't get much attention at the moment. Um, I, th I think one of the most inspiring or limited part for me is still this like access to the big data and, 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 and sometimes, I mean, yes, we are able to create our own data sets, which I think is our own, I think, push, but I wish we have much open models, much open models that are like really well trained with like different various data sets, which I think we are hoping to do that in the near future to share our models. But what is really um, for me sometimes limited is um, this latent space is a very complex concept and I don't think it's easy to understand from the creative world. So I wish we have like um, platforms and tools that are really making it more accessible than beyond just, you know, being deep in the computer science. So I wish if we have more like, I mean, um, these tools that may also open up this imagination to many other people. Uh, and I think it will be very exciting. The other thing I'm really um, very like closely looking for is how we can get much more three dimensional imagination. I know that in like recent Facebook research is incredible. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's probably the bigger data means bigger operation and bigger like, I mean, calculations and neural networks, architectures and things like that. But, but eventually I'm much more inspired by three dimensional simulations 
in and and um, and I wish there's more research on that area, which apparently mm. it's coming up. Um, but in general, I think my really true feeling is we are in a very good shape, I believe, sharing the knowledge. And there's an incredible amount of sharing that yeah. I'm incredibly happy to be a part of that journey. Great. So if I ask you what parallel to nature do you see possibly influencing your research going forward? So I am extremely inspired by neuroscience as mm. a whole. And I think that the future of what we are doing is not only just an art, but also an experience that can be explored in multiple dimensions. So I feel more, more and more um, responsible. First of all, from the beginning, I always think that art should be for anyone, any age and any culture. So I am extremely unbiased in the audience context. Um, but that's also a big challenge, right? Like how you can be sure that the idea can be explored from any age, any culture, anywhere mm. in the world. So that's a big challenge. Um, and, and, and that's a kind of a creating a new language of exploration and imagination, which I hope we can do this in a much deeper world. That's one of the reasons I'm trying to understand the neuroscience in general and consciousness in general, um, because I think the more we understand our cognitive capacity of like everything, the more we have a purposeful questions and understanding of the tools such as like mission intelligence. Um, so uh, that's our like territory and imagination. And I hope that in our work, we always try to be a pioneer of some ideas, like make invisible visible and like to go to a place that, that we never went before, right? Like that very childish, you know, discovery and innovation feeling. Like you want to go this like new space, say, come and see this, you know, mm. like come, come, like I found this very unique, like that, 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 that feeling. So I wish um, we can keep going that, that feeling as to the edge of imagination, edge of technology yeah. and science. That's a great. So if I ask you for the challenges, because we're closing to the end of a couple of questions, what are the challenges you're really facing right now? And what do you say you, you imagine maybe in the next 10 years? Something uh, you, you're just thinking every day about it. So I think the, the, the true challenge is, I think, the, the time. I mean, creating a model of time, because mm -hmm. I feel that, so, so again, I'm a media artist and, and my agenda is pretty much not aligned to the academia, which is so slow, no offense, mm -hmm. <laughs> or not, not aligned to the, uh, um, the science community, which is so like needs exploration, or not aligned to the like uh, commercial world, which has this like desire of selling something. Mm -hmm. It's a very sometimes alone, a lonely imagination. Sometimes you feel very alone because, again, like these models are incredible, but they do not apply to the fundamentals. So, creating a new model of studio, like research based, inspired from academia, inspired from the you know tech giants and the and the science and the computational, you know, discoveries and innovations, is really challenging. You know, like because trying to catch up with the humanities enhancements, let's say yeah. in general, is a big challenge. Like how to be sure that we have an understanding of everything we have um, and how to like learn to learn in a way that we can learn much deeper. Um, I think these are very cognitive challenges we have and, and, and fundamental structural challenges we have. Yeah, I, th I think it's, it's really interesting because you take a different path beyond academia and industry. And that's yes. something I found is maybe uh, is courageous to do that that you find your own niche. And that's, I think that's powerful. I don't know, is it easy for you to do that? 
Thank you, thank you. I, I don't think it's very easy. I mean, by the way, I'm teaching at UCLA Design Media Arts Department, yeah. where I got my second MFA degree. Yeah. And I'm teaching the last five years, but I'm really, I mean, teaching is everything. I mean, sharing is everything. I think, I think it's very important. Um, but what I also find that like the similarities and the differences between, again, like this African proverb, like, uh, um, uh, is incredible. Like if you wanna go faster, do it alone. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna go further, do it together. I mean, it's an incredible statement and it's an incredible idea. And I think, again, academia is sometimes very slow. Yeah. A system that is designed, I mean, <laughs> very long time ago, um, doesn't belong to, I think, what we have right now sometimes. Or, I mean, the ethics and, and the rules are incredibly inspiring, but the system is very slow. Yeah. Or the, uh, the, the commercial world, like commercial research is so commercial. It's just the, the idea of selling something, selling and, and, and convincing someone and making a product from an idea. So, but what happened to our experiences, right? Like what happens and, and, and can we like, as I said, like can we architect our perception? But who, who belongs to an architected perception? Can it be not that any, like can it be an experience? Like, um, and again, that experience doesn't belong to the, the, those fields sometimes. Um, that being alone is very unique feeling that I, what I was trying to say. Yeah, um, I agree with you, yeah. So you said that the machine can learn but cannot make a decision. It doesn't have a reason. And when you look to uh, the current like self-driving car, there is a debate about whether any significant decision should or must be delegated to a machine. How do you see this statement? What is your perception about uh, a machine to take a decision or make a decision above a human being? So in, in, a, in a world where the machines have this like cognitive capacity of you know, deciding decisions, in their own free will, which I don't think will happen soon, <laughs> as far as I know, yeah. but I may be wrong. Um, I, I don't think that will be a scenario to be worried immediately, but it's an incredible idea to think about this. Again, as an artist, I have always this question to myself. If one day a machine decides to create a culture, its own, and creates an art inside its own culture, like will I accept as an entity? Will I accept the computer as an artist that's my personal question to myself to like create that model of reality um and i will most likely say yes of course i mean <laughs> if there's a free will if the machine is just make that journey its own thing i will be inspired i will be like enjoy it i will be celebrate that moment um so because it's an incredibly moment in in humanity <laughs> mm. so so that's my point of view on that um, and of course, the same thing comes with ramifications, as I said in the beginning, but I think I am much more inspired right now. What else can we do with that? Mm -hmm. And if we speak about robotics, do you think your work can be inspired in robotics or maybe have uh, benefits? Do you, you imagine something like that? And you have an going project, I think uh, you said. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And also, like, I mean, I mean, that's one world, but also I'm pretty sure like the amount of research going on in neuroscience and like disease that can be cured by AI. I mean, there's an enormous hope embedded in this in this technology. Like, and I don't think always the hope is like clearly described. Mm. I mean, the research at DeepMind, like this AlphaGo, like I mean, yes, it's a it's just emotional journey of like seeing one of the best players in the world is witnessing a power of imagination with the mind of a machine but I'm just enjoying it. And it's just like replying with an incredibly depth response. Um, I mean, I'm inspired more than ever with this dialogue sometimes than a, no offense, but a boring human to human conversation. So, <laughs> so I don't know, um, mm. there's a lot of inspiration there.
Yeah. So if I ask you, um, how do you think being having art accessible to everyone is going to be beneficial to humanity as a whole? How do you ensure this happens? So, I mean, that's a big challenge, right? Mm. So, I mean, as I said, like, I mean, sometimes we have an exhibition travels. I mean, we have a project called Infinity Room, and that room traveled 44 cities, every continent except Antarctica. So technically, there's a project in our hands that has traveled and visited more than 2 million people. I mean, the project itself is a research, as you may guess, right? Like, because we have an enormous information from like six years old to like six months old, like 66 years old. Like, it's an incredible diverse, you know, backgrounds in different cultures. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and it's one way of doing it. I think one way of like, I think we are succeeding this, this, this dream of like uh, having this common language and, and understanding of like, you know, art in general. Uh, but it, it also comes with like, I mean, as we are all unique at the, at, the, at the core of our DNA and gene, but we are also trying to like connect each other, right? Um, and it's just, it's a very unique, um, a binding experience, I guess, a kind of a, kind of an evolutionary moment. Like I think as McLuhan said, once we put the satellite in the orbit, our like evolution yeah. completely changed. And that's very true. I mean, since then we are connected to each other and I think it's a type of connection. Yeah, I agree. So do you think ego is important? Ego? Not, not for me. I mean, mm. I don't feel that I'm, I, I, I'm very fine without ego, if I can detach from myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> if I know how to do that. But that's, that, it, since I couldn't find on my own, I mean, I wish I had this Buddhist practice or something else that really explores this idea. Um, but I'm trying to apply the idea to data. Like, can we detach ego from data? Mm -hmm. And then what happens? So that's a journey applied to a like computational model um it's just i feel sometimes more healthy <laughs> than trying on my own <laughs> or someone else um i mean i think the, the whole thing is like instead of making humans more machines can we make machines more human i think the second question is more safer for humanity <laughs> yeah yeah so if i ask you what do you think the equation from your experience for success and what is the most important trait you have gained in your journey Again, I think I, for me, the success is the distance between dream and reality. Mm -hmm. and, and the more I make that distance uh, closer, the more I feel successful in my own reality. And I think, and, and, and what I found that as an artist, that's, these imagination models are all dreams, right? And then I'm just trying to make all of them real mm -hmm. <laughs> um, with the purpose of for anyone, any, any background. Um, um, and th th that's a heavy purpose, but um, that's my, I think, one of the definition of success in my life. Mm -hmm. And the, the most important trait you have gained, one trait you think you, you, you have to survive with for your journey. Yes. yes, I mean, the nature of quest is, I think, the, the, the mm -hmm. core of that. But also what I, what I felt is like we, once we do projects with this purpose, I found that I met and connected with many people in many parts of the world. I think the idea is working. I think the, the concept is working, um, but there are so many stories to tell. Like there's so many stories to like, you know, explore so many ideas to explore. It's a feeling of a journey. Like, you know, it's not just have this, you know, immediate end goal because mm -hmm. it's a journey itself. And I think that's the most, I think, exciting and this ever changing inspiration inside itself. Mm -hmm. um, but the most gain is, I think, I mean, you can't imagine how many messages and mails coming around the world about the people's like reaction to the pieces and it's another i think dimension like for example 
I am I, I don't record them all of them, but I mean I have many many like messages like for example and and project from um, Washington DC uh, an infinity room explored by a family uh, a, a woman with uh, her son exploring the infinity room and her son has a disease that he could not look at a certain part of life or point in mm. life longer than a certain time it's a unique I think uh, cognitive disease and it's the first time she said that his her son was able to stay more than 15 minutes in a given time and space and it was an incredibly like emotional message yeah and very unique things happening like that the people like exploring their gender their like traumas like inner worlds i don't know what does this mean but i am getting an enormous amount of messages of people's inner world so then the question comes are these artworks also triggering an universal exploration of inner world so maybe that is, maybe that is un unfolding another universe inside the mind of a human. So I don't know, it's just a speculation I know, but, I think but it, maybe, it, yeah. maybe art is healing in some capacity. Indeed, I think you said very deep point, I think. That's something I think we have to sort about it deeply. And you're right, uh, I think art of like a therapy as well, and maybe to investigate these questions. Mm -hmm. You're right. Um, if I ask you what was the best advice was given to you in this journey and was a life changing, if you remember? I think for me, there were moments that I remember, I think around the family point of view, I think it's a very important one. Um, I lost my father on my, I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. and, um, Sorry for that. Yeah. And that was my most painful day of my life. Um, and and that was my most sharpest pain described, I think, in my life that I can I can recall. And that was a very unique day um, in my life. I mean, and l luckily I didn't get any traumatic reaction, but I in fact I tried to learn from that experience. And and I think the I, I it was a very refreshing you know <laughs> moment in mm. life. Like we are here for a certain time with this body and mind at least, unless it's proven. Um, so that was an interestingly most sharpest like awakening in my mind um, about the awareness of where we are. Um, mm. And and I'm still keeping that, that that pain very fresh, to be honest, in terms of the learning. Um, not the not the not the sadness, not the, like emotional level, but the intelligence insight. So that was really unique. And I, I and I think that's my turning point in my life. One uh, of my yeah. turning points. Yeah, I think what you said is very interesting and how you can keep this as a message for you every day when you wake up and you remember such painful mm -hmm. memory. Do you have to relate to this event or just you had this message every day beyond mm -hmm. what happened to you? No, I think we are learning. We are we are learning animals. <laughs> we can yeah. learn much faster. But I think um, the, the thing that really is unique is I mean some people say it's a it's a statement of workaholic <laughs> yeah. but I still believe it's not um, because if you if you put your life as an inspiration if you put your life as an input to your like you know uh, uh, if in your work you eventually work and live for your work and your life right mm -hmm. that paradox is very unique um, but also yes it may feel workaholic but whatever you do feel and do can have an impact on your work so 
that's how I learned from it. And, and, and that's a heavy responsibility. Yeah. Not everyone needs to carry this, I mean, heavy thing. But once you, once you start to decide to carry this, it comes with other gifts. Um, and, and I believe people who are following their inner world, inner voice, I mean, mind and soul, <laughs> uh, in a scientific or unscientific grounds, people are finding their inner voice and that is the best teacher of ourself. Yeah, I think you beautifully said everything. So I, I would like to thank you really for your time. I really enjoyed this discussion. Thanks so much, Rafiq, for your time. It was honor thank to you have you. Thank you very much. Much appreciate for the wonderful questions. Thank you. Thank you.